Hello and welcome to episode number 74 of the AFTV Newscast, being recorded March 17th, 2017. My name is Elias Saba and I run AFTVNews.com. This is where I talk about the week's Fire TV news and Alexa news and Echo news and that sort of stuff. Uh, fair warning, I will be talking about Alexa a little bit later in the episode, uh, so you'll probably want to mute those devices if you're watching me on, on the TV or in, in, in the vicinity of an Echo or a Tap or something that could could hear me say the, the dreaded A word and, and trigger the uh, microphones to listen and and cause chaos and all that stuff. So yeah, definitely mute those right now is probably a, a good idea. We've got a decent amount to talk about this week. Going to talk about a little change to the uh, Fire TV's home screen with recommendations, or or we've actually learned a little bit more about that little new row that's being added there. Uh, Going to talk about playing files off of external storage, either a USB drive, flash drive, or hard drive, um, or a micro SD card. Uh, kind of going back to more of the basics of Fire TV stuff. You know, a lot of people have been asking me to write this kind of more basic guide and I realize there's actually quite a bit to it so we're going to be talking about that so you'll probably learn a little bit even if you if you already know how to play uh, external you know video files from external storage you can also be talking about app news a lot of a lot of great new apps that got added this week and, the, and last week sorry about missing last week's episode I know it was kind of unannounced but you know something came up I had to had to skip it uh, also going to uh, like I said talk about Alexa stuff and deals and that sort of stuff so it should be a good episode let's go ahead and get right into things so first up, let's talk about that recommendations row that is going to pop up on the Fire TV home screen if it's not already there. So Amazon has added the ability for uh, app developers, you know, third-party app developers not associated with Amazon to actually recommend content on the Fire TV's home screen. So if you have an app installed that has, you know, used this functionality, uh, there will be a row, a new row on your Fire TV's home screen. I think it will appear below definitely below your you know your recent and then your apps and then i think you know there'll be a few other recommendations and then this this row called recommended by your apps that's what that's what the title of the row will be that may appear again if if an app you have installed is actually using this feature or taking advantage of it so I think one of the reasons Amazon has added this feature to the Fire TV is because they get a bit of criticism for uh, displaying too much Prime content, too much Amazon content on the Fire TV's home screen. Uh, you know, they've been making strides to get, you know, third parties to actually show their own content on there. I know they have a, a Netflix recommendations row. They have HBO recommendations row. I, I've seen Crackle. Um, if you're a subscriber to any of the Amazon channels, that is not Prime content. You know, that will show up in its own area and it'll be suggested suggested so they're definitely making strides and i think this is just yet another step but this one gives app developers the most control out of everything uh, it seems so uh, basically you know it's what you'd expect an app developer can select uh, amazon recommends up to five items within the app that's available to stream within the app to recommend on the actual you know home screen in this new row uh, i believe all apps will share this one row so it's not like every app you have installed can recommend an entire row of content and then you're just gonna have rows and rows of recommendations um, but i don't really know too many apps who are actually uh, taking advantage of this i think one example amazon gives is the aol app so there's an aol video app and it looks like they're doing this um but the feature is fairly straightforward. You'll, you'll see recommendations. Again, the app developers themselves have full control over the screenshot that appears, the title, the description that appears. They even have control over the little, um, you know, the basically the text for the buttons that appear if you press the menu button while hovering over one of the recommendations. So they can have it say things like watch or resume or switch profiles even. So, you know, right there from that recommendations row, you can basically just initiate a profile switch if, if the video app supports that. Uh, I think this is something Netflix does, for example. 
Uh, another nice thing about the way Amazon implemented this for developers is that it's fully compatible with the way Android TV, that OS uh, recommends content or has apps recommend content to that interface. So if you're watching the video version here, you can see this is what the Android TV recommendations look like. Very similar, just basically a row of screenshots and titles and, and you know, different apps are recommending this content for the, you know, the user of that Android TV box. And so this feature is compatible with Android's implementation of recommendations. And that means that a developer who has already implemented Android TV's version of recommendations. So if there's a video app that's in the Android TV market, and then that app gets ported or added onto the Fire TV's market, those recommendations that it was already showing on Android TV boxes will automatically start appearing on the Fire TV's boxes. Uh, Amazon has added a few more enhancements to the way recommendations are implemented. For example, they, the app developer can, can see what parental controls are set up on the box. And so then it won't, you know, recommend content that, it, you know, doesn't meet the parental controls, for example. So I think this is a nice addition to the Fire TV's interface. I think it'll it'll hopefully add some variety to the home screen. I, I expect most people just basically go to the recent or the app section and just hop into your apps. Or if you're looking for something to watch, you know, you probably, if you're a Prime member, you look into the Prime stuff. But it'd be nice if, you know, the, all the different video apps you have installed would recommend some content there. That way you have it all in one interface and you're not, you're not basically forced to hop in from app to app. So uh, I welcome it, you know, um, we'll, we'll see if developers actually start using it or not. All right, next up, let's talk about playing video files off of external storage on the Fire TV and the Fire TV stick. Uh, by external storage, I mean either USB drives, and that, that includes thumb drives, flash drives, um, you know, actual physical spinning hard drive, you know, big hunking external hard drives, uh, even SSD drives, uh, even memory cards in a, in a card reader, a USB card reader that's connected to the Fire TV's USB port. That even works. And of course, the uh, Fire TV 2 supports micro uh, SD cards. It has that slot on the back. And so you can play files off of there. Now, most likely a lot of people listening to this are kind of, you know, veterans of the Fire TV and, you know, probably already know this, but you'd be surprised how many times I get this, this asked because it's kind of one of the first things people want to do. You know, they get their Fire TV, they install those apps like Netflix and, and that kind of stuff and they stream content, but then they probably have their own collection of some videos, either home videos or ripped DVDs or, or something like that. And they want to play those on the Fire TV. And sometimes I know a lot of people, you know, like myself, will use something like Plex or something like Kodi, and you'll stream that content from your local network on a shared drive or something or a NAS. But for a lot of people, that's a little bit complicated. And so sometimes it's just easier to just, you know, plug in something physically into the into the uh, into a computer, transfer files onto it and then plug that into the Fire TV and then you're up and running. So I wrote this little article. I'll skim through it. Uh, it's fairly in-depth. Um, I was surprised actually when I started writing this, how much there is that you kind of need to know about using external storage, external drives, because the Fire TV doesn't really support this feature or it doesn't actually like advertise this feature you know there's no built-in app for example on the fire tv that can play files off of an external drive you have to install your own app and then there's uh things that you have to know about the, the drives formatting and that sort of stuff so let me just skim through this real quick uh, and and i'll basically uh, you know break down the the main points that you kind of need to know so like i mentioned usb and micro sd cards those work on the fire tv 2 uh the fire tv 1 doesn't have a micro sd card slot so you only have you can only use USB drives. The Fire TV Stick 2, um, it just has that one 
micro USB port for power, but as I've mentioned before, you can actually use an OTG cable, connect it to that, and then that OTG cable basically is, it breaks out into a Y, where one is a full-size USB port that you can actually plug in drives into, and the other one is, is a, a micro USB port that you actually plug the power into. So it is actually possible on the Fire TV Stick 2 to actually plug in external USB drives, and it works right off the bat, no rooting necessary, just you know plug and play and you're good to go. Uh, unfortunately, the Fire TV Stick 1, the first generation, device does need to be rooted for OTG cables to work and even then getting external USB drives you know working on that is is a complicated process and it doesn't really work that well for everybody so I've kind of just eliminated that from this guide just because it's it's not that simple and I assume people who are following this guide or, or kind of need this information are the type who want to keep it as simple as possible so I'm I'm just basically you know knocking out the fire TV stick one here first thing you need to know when actually plugging in a device is what directory your files are going to be located when you try to access them in the in the fire TV's you know OS and the fire TV's directory structure and I've got a list here I won't go over them but basically each device and each type of external storage, whether it's micro uh, USB, sorry, whether it's micro SD, USB or USB via an OTG cable, it kind of varies what actual directory that is going to be in. Um, they're all in a slash storage directory, but then there's subdirectories in there that basically break it down on which device or sorry, which type of external storage you're using. So once you know what type of external storage is compatible with your device and where that uh, external storage is going to be mounted and and the files that you can access uh, you're going to want to know about the file system basically so uh, the fire tv by default only supports fat 32 file system uh, basically that's the formatting of of the actual drive the usb drive or the micro sd card it does not support ntfs or xfat or any of those other file systems unfortunately you know by default um, if your device is rooted you can mount ntfs drives i have a guide in this guide basically linked on how to do that so if you really want to use NTFS and your Fire TV is rooted, you can do it, but basically you're going to be limited to FAT32. The one important thing about FAT32 is that that file system has a four gigabyte file size cap. And what that basically means is you can only store files that are four gigabytes or less. And if you have a lot of, you know, high def movies, for example, a lot of those are over four gigabytes. So I actually have another guide on a little trick, kind of like a little workaround, what you can do to actually play those files or store those files that are larger than four gigabytes on a FAT32 drive. Basically, it involves splitting those files in, into the RAR compression format. It might sound complicated, but it's actually pretty easy. You just have to download a piece of software, run your files through it. You'll get multiple files that are all less than four gigabytes. Put those on, on your drive and then the Fire TV or actually Kodi or, or the, the software that we'll talk about later will be able to see those split files as if they were one single file. And you could just hit play as if, you know, there was an, an actual larger than four gigabyte file sitting on that drive. The next thing to know is what type of video files work on the Fire TV. Um, as far as the actual extension goes, or what's called the file container, the apps that I'm going to talk about to play these files are very you know, robust. They can basically play a wide selection of popular formats, .mkv, .avi, .mp4, .mov. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. They're basically all supported, so you really don't have to worry about this. If you are ripping your own files, I would recommend using .mkv, because right now it seems like the standard that everybody's using in all these devices, all these apps are pretty much supporting it. Uh, .mp4 is also a good one because that one tends to be supported by the actual OS of devices. But, you know, the Fire TV does not have its own video player that you can actually access. So there's really no point. So you might as well use the .mkv there. What is more important than the file container is the codec of the file. Now, I can, I can talk for an hour about file codecs. But the most important thing to know is that the second gen Fire TV 
and the second gen Fire TV Stick, those two devices support what's called H.265 or also known as HEVC uh, encoded files. And so what that means is that they basically have hardware built in that can decode those files. Uh, it's important to note that is because first gen devices, the Fire TV One and the Fire TV Stick, the original one, they do not have H.265 or HEVC uh, decoding capabilities or actually hardware decoding capabilities. So if you try to play an H.265 or HEVC or X.265, there are different formats that, have all, that are all about the same thing. Uh, if you try to play one of those files on the first gen devices, it's basically not going to work. Um, you'll be able to play it, but it'll be very choppy. It'll be a bad experience. It, the, the device just cannot handle it. So if you are creating your own files or you're getting your own files, you want to probably stick to H.264 or X.264 if you want to just be compatible with all devices because basically all Fire TVs will support and play back H.264 files smoothly. I have a video I created a while back kind of demonstrating how the H.264 and H.265 differs on the different devices, the different generation of, of devices. I'll put a link down below. It's also linked in this guide. Uh, but if you want to just kind of see what I talk about when when I, I, I say it's going to be choppy and that sort of stuff, that video basically lays it out for you. So again, in summary, if you have the second gen devices, you could totally go with H.265, I would actually recommend that because H.265 is a smaller file size, but it maintains the quality of a larger file size. Uh, but if you have the older devices, you want to stick to that H.264. Uh, these are also known as basically X.264, X.265. That's basically the, uh, the free open source version of these uh, codecs. All right, lastly, now that you've got basically the, the right type of uh, external storage connected in the right way and it's formatted the right way and you've got files on there that you know will work on the Fire TV, you need some way to play those files or access those files. And really, your best bet are, are two apps, essentially. VLC is the first one. That's the simplest one. It's free. It's in the Amazon App Store. Basically, you just install it. You get just a very simple interface, flat list. It, it automatically will find your external files for you and list them so you don't even have to dig around the actual directory structure of the Fire TV to find them. So if you just want the simplest way to get up and going and playing those external files, you'll use VLC. Uh, the other more complicated way is using Kodi, SPMC, or Mr. MC. I've talked about those a lot in the past. Those are very robust, very feature-rich uh, media playing apps. They are all very similar with slight differences, so it's kind of just up to you which one you pick. The main difference, though, is Kodi and SPMC are free, but you do have to sideload them because they're not available in the Fire TV's app store. The easiest way to do that is using my guide, using my downloader app. It's very straightforward. I mean, you'll be able to do it in literally just a couple minutes, and so I've got links to that guide basically on sideloading. Uh, if you don't want to go through sideloading, there is Mr. MC that is very similar similar, almost identical to Kodi and SPMC, but it is in the official Amazon App Store, but it does cost $2.99 currently. So, you know, it's kind of up to you whether you want to sideload yourself and keep that manually updated, then go with Kodi and SPMC and, and it's free. Or you can go with Mr. MC, which you have to pay for, but, you know, the Fire TV will, you'll be able to just install it from the Amazon App Store and it'll just auto-update itself and everything will be a lot simpler there. So up to you. So that's pretty much the, the big overview of how to play external video files on the Fire TV 1, 2, and the Fire TV Stick 2. 
Next up, I want to talk a little bit about Plex, which I just mentioned. Um, I didn't mention it in my previous, you know, little section about playing external files or, or files on external storage because Plex mostly is a streaming, you know, cloud-based or, or, you know, network-based media player. You don't actually play files in it from, you know, that are actually stored on the Fire TV or plugged into the Fire TV and that sort. But basically, Plex is a media player and they've actually released Plex Cloud out of beta. Uh, I talked about Plex Cloud back when it first got announced, so I just wanted to mention that it is out of beta now. You do need a Plex Pass, which is a paid subscription. I believe it's $5 a month, or you can play, pay a, a flat fee for to get like a lifetime membership. I, be, I believe that's how they do their pricing there. But essentially, like I said, Plex, normally you have your files stored either on a PC or on a network attached storage device, and then Plex uh, sees that device and you run a server and the server basically organizes your files and it serves it to the Plex app on the Fire TV. But Plex Cloud allows you to store those files on a cloud storage server. Uh, the cloud storage servers that it supports are Dropbox, uh, Microsoft's OneDrive, and uh, Google Drive. So you do have to store all your files on those and those are not free services or at least not for large amounts of storage. So that's kind of the big negative about using Plex Cloud is that if you do have a large library, you're gonna basically have to pay that, that subscription for that large cloud storage. But the benefit of Plex Cloud is that you don't have to run your own server. You don't have to have a co computer running in your house all the time to access those files. They're, they're just living in the cloud basically and your Fire TV running the Plex app just points to the cloud and streams those files anytime you actually call them. So uh, I've got links to all of this, of course, down below with, with little instructions and guides on how to get it up and running. It's, it's very simple, very straightforward. So you can uh, check it out if you're interested. All right, moving on, let's talk about some new apps that arrived this week or in the past uh, couple of weeks since I missed last week's episode uh, for the Fire TV and the Fire TV Stick. Uh, first up, Discovery Channel, basically, or Discovery Communications is the official name of the company. They just released five of their networks onto the Fire TV. That includes uh, Discovery Channel, Science Channel, uh, investigation discovery tlc and animal planet so all five of those just got brand new apps for the fire tv and the fire tv stick but basically all all fire tv models new and old uh, have these apps available to them all the apps are basically about the same they have the same formatting the same structure they just have different content obviously for the different networks so i i did a little overview as i usually do for the uh, discovery channel app and so you, i'll put a link down below of course to that overview and to all of these five apps if you are interested in in picking them up from amazon for the fire tv or the fire tv stick um, the apps are pretty nice. Uh, they obviously are going to require a TV subscription to activate the app before you can watch the vast majority of the content within the app. So most of it is locked down, but there is some uh, free content, you know, full episodes. For example, on the Discovery Channel app, I think there were a total of eight, at least eight episodes that were available completely for free without having to actually activate the app. And I assume, you know, as the weeks go, those uh, those free episodes get shuffled out. And so it's not just going to be a, a static, you know, eight episodes. And then once you watch them, you're, you, there's no more free content. But the apps are pretty nice. They're, they're fairly robust. They've got a featured section on the homepage. They've got shows section that breaks down all the shows. The Discovery Channel app, for example, that had, I think, 70 shows, 70 different shows available to stream uh, not that many seasons for every show I mean some of the shows literally only had one episode available um, and of course you had to actually you know activate the app to watch that but 
it's still nice to see that these apps have come to the Fire TV. You know, I always say it's kind of like, you know, baby steps. So, you know, these TV networks, they'll create these apps that are completely locked down. That's kind of like their first version. It's like locked down. You have to activate it. You might as well have, you know, watch it on your cable subscription because there's no point in, in the app uh, unless you have a cable subscription. And then slowly they'll start to release uh, ad-based free episodes. And then eventually maybe they'll release more of those. And then hopefully they'll come out with a la carte, you know, pay whatever, five bucks a month and you get access to all of Discovery Channel. You know, Discovery has not done that yet, but hopefully that this is like a first step to that ultimate goal, essentially, where you'll be able to subscribe to the channel directly and won't have to do the whole subscription thing. So if you want to check out the overview of the app, I go into a lot of detail about all the different features and what you can get out of them, whether you, you're activated or not. Uh, so you can definitely find that link below and, and check it out. Moving along, the next new app that I want to talk about is True TV. This is another uh, TV cable network. They just released a Fire TV and Fire TV Stick app. Uh, this is one of the newer networks. Well, at least it got rebranded recently. Um, I, so True TV used to be a reality TV-based network, and now they've recently uh, transitioned, I think it was in the last two years or so, into a comedy-based uh, network. And before that, I think... Like 10 years ago or so, they were a court, they were called court TV, where they did like crime television, that sort of stuff. So they've gone through a few different phases, and this is probably why it took uh, this long for, for them to release an app for the Fire TV. But very similar to the uh, previous Discovery apps, uh, this one does also require uh, activation to watch the majority of the content, but there is actually completely free full episodes within the app, and they have them labeled pretty nicely within the app. So you'll, you should be able to find the actual content that's for free once you you dig into an actual uh, TV show in the app, you'll see a little open lock icon next to episodes that are available to stream for free. Uh, for the most part, from what I noticed, they are older episodes, you know, like the first episode of the previous season, that sort of thing will often be for free, but the, the more recent episodes will require that activation. So, of course, put a link down below to this little overview of the True TV app and, of course, a link to it if you want to pick it up and check it out for yourself. Next up, the last new app I want to talk about is a brand new March Madness app. So uh, last year around this March time, we got a new March Madness app and it looks like they've actually updated and released another app. So instead of updating last year's app, they released a new 2017 NCAA March Madness app. Uh, March Madness is basically the uh, college basketball playoffs if you're interested. And so... Very similar to what I've already talked about the previous apps. You do need to have a, a cable subscription to watch uh, any of the content basically in this. Um, they have small clips within this app, but none of the actual full games are available for free. So you do have to activate it with a cable subscription. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention about basically all of these apps is they all have a live stream option. So those Discovery Channel apps, uh, the uh, True TV app, and this March Madness app, they all have live stream. So you can actually, if you do have a cable subscription, you can actually log in, activate the app, and actually watch what's currently airing. And so you don't have to just watch what's on demand. So if you're a fan of uh, basketball or, or college basketball, you'll definitely want to check out this app. Next, let's talk a little bit about deals that have popped up in the last week. So first up, we've got this app deal. So there's this game called Super Pixelo. It is down from 99 cents to free. It's completely free. So normally it was 99 cents. I'll put, of course, a link down below to pick up this game. It's a platformer game, like a puzzle pre precision platformer game. So uh, basically it has this retro style. And you're controlling this one little square and you've got to basically maneuver it around the different obstacles. There's like over 100 levels in this game. So if you're just looking for something to play, you know, each level doesn't take too long. So it's it's easy to just, you know, pop in, 
play the level, play a couple levels, and then, you know, do something else, for example. So if you just have a few minutes of free time to, to play a game. These are kind of my favorite types of games on the Fire TV where you basically, you don't have to commit a lot of time all at once. And so you could just pop in, play a little bit, you know, pop out maybe, you know, while you're waiting for, for your, your significant other to, to come back from the kitchen or the restroom or something, you know, in between watching things. So... So definitely pick it up. I'll put a link down below. The other uh, free app or formerly paid but now free app that uh, has gone free this week is called Dissonance Interactive Novelette. This is actually from the same developer as that previous app, the Super Pixel app. Uh, I've not tried this one myself, but it's basically like a a basically like a book slash game. Um, again, I don't know. It just it combines a novelette and a point and click puzzle to create a unique video game experience. That's basically the tagline for it. So if you want to check it out, it's free now. You can uh, pick it up. All right, next up, let's talk about uh, some Alexa news, some Amazon Echo news, that sort of stuff. So if you if you haven't muted your Echo or Echo Dot or Amazon Tap yet, you'll probably want to do that right now because I am going to say the A word quite a bit. So uh, first up, Amazon Echo can now be connected to Bluetooth speakers. Uh, that might sound a little weird because you might think like, the Amazon Echo has had Bluetooth support from day one. So what, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about kind of uh, Bluetooth support in the other direction. So Amazon Echo has been able to connect to a, uh, a, a source of audio uh, via Bluetooth. So if you have a phone, for example, you can connect that to the Amazon Echo via Bluetooth. And then when you play something on the phone, it comes out of the Amazon Echo speaker. But now you can actually do it the other way where the Echo itself connects to another speaker. And so when you make a request from the Echo, to play something, it plays out of that Bluetooth speaker that you've connected it to, not the actual Echo speaker itself. Uh, this is a feature that was unique to the Echo Dot initially because the Echo Dot has the weak speaker built into it. So you're kind of meant to connect that to some kind of external speaker, whether it's wired or Bluetooth, uh, if you're going to play music because, you know, music sounds pretty bad on that little Echo Dot speaker. But they've added that ability, you know, to connect a Bluetooth speaker to the Amazon Echo now. Um, it's odd that they haven't done it up until now because it seems like why not? Since obviously the capability was kind of built in, the hardware is there. It's just kind of a software update. But I guess they never thought about it um, as a a like you know something that connects it to other speakers since it is kind of meant to be an all-in-one device with a speaker built in the microphone built in so you know you're not supposed to really connect anything to it so it actually may not be that intuitive to realize how to actually do this but basically what you have to do is you have to go into the alexa app or alexa.amazon.com you go into settings you select the amazon echo device itself and then from there you'll see a bluetooth menu option when you tap that it'll take you to the to the settings where you'll basically pair it with another speaker so, so that's how you do it. It's not done like in the actual main settings area. You have to actually dig into these actual Echo device itself settings within the Alexa app. So one reason I think Amazon added this capability now is because of this rumor or almost confirmed rumor uh, of a feature that is supposedly coming to the Amazon Echo and the Echo Dot. So both the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, it looks like, are going to get the ability to synchronize audio amongst themselves. So if you start playing audio on one device, it'll play in sync on all of your devices or all of them that you select, at least. So this screenshot popped up of the Alexa app with this new option in there. Uh, Amazon basically does internal beta testing of new features before they actually go live. And so that's why this, this feature showed up on somebody's Alexa app. They, My best guess is that... like 
like somebody in their family is probably an Amazon employee and they didn't know that they were in, enrolled in the beta program essentially. And so that's probably why they actually saw this feature, posted it online asking, you know, why isn't this working? Why can't I get it to work when, when really they shouldn't have posted this option? But if you're watching the video version here, you can see the screenshot basically within the smart home section of the Alexa app. It looks like there's going to be a synchronized audio option. From there, you get to select which Echo and Echo Dot devices uh, would be included in the synchronized setting when you actually engage it. And it looks like the way you engage it is you say basically the word everywhere at the end of your request. So if you say, you know, Alexa, play such and such, you know, from Prime Music everywhere, then it would play everywhere and not just the device that actually hears you make the request. The reason I think this feature is linked to the new edition of the Echo being, you know, capable of connecting to Bluetooth speakers is because at the very bottom of this little kind of, uh, screenshot, it says, uh, saving will interrupt streaming audio and activate Bluetooth connections. So it looks like this synchronized audio feature is dependent on the Bluetooth connection. So I bet that the Echo itself to sync to another Echo or Echo Dot has to actually treat that as if it was just a Bluetooth speaker. And so, you know, if, if the main echo playing the audio has to connect to another echo that is going to also sync the audio, then it needs to basically be able to see it as just a Bluetooth speaker, if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, uh, this feature has not been released yet. It, it's been a couple weeks now since the screenshot popped up. So we don't know when this feature is going to be added, if for sure it is going to be added. Um, I, I definitely trust this screenshot because I saw it and then about a month ago I saw a different person post a similar screenshot of a similar feature so we've got at least two sources there and I myself have seen a third source uh, just sent to me privately so it definitely seems like this is at least being tested internally at Amazon hopefully it actually gets released. Last up in Alexa news before we get into the Q&A section of the episode is that Amazon has actually added full-blown Alexa capabilities to their iPhone app. So the standard Amazon shopping app that is in the iTunes store for iPhones now can be used to talk to Alexa. So it has always had a microphone in the top where you could do voice searches and you could do simple things requests also like uh, asking where's your order and that sort of stuff but it was never Alexa that actually responded it was just like a one-way thing where you did the voice search and then you saw the results show up on the screen but now they basically upgraded that that voice capability within their app into being full-blown Alexa so by full-blown Alexa I, I mean just that basically almost everything you could do on an echo an echo dot a tap on the fire TVs Alexa capabilities you can do within this app now on the go you know away from your house so you can search for things. You can even uh, start playing music just directly in there. You tap the microphone button, ask for music the same way you ask for music on the Echo, the Echo Dot, and all those other Alexa devices. And then the Amazon shopping app will just start playing music for you. You can see here, if you're watching the video version, it just pops up a little music player interface with, with cover art. And, you know, pretty nice, pretty handy. You know, I've, I found myself driving in the car, for example, and wishing I had Alexa capabilities, you know, built into my car, for example. And, and so, you know, having it here on an iPhone is, is going to be at least, you know, the, the next best thing to, to it being built into the car itself. In addition to asking questions, doing searches, you know, shopping through Alexa, uh, playing music, you can also uh, 
have access to all of the Alexa skills. So all 10,000 plus of those skills can be accessed and enabled through this Alexa capability on the iPhone app. Um, that includes smart home skills. So if you have a smart plug or light bulb or thermostat, you can now from your iPhone, just open up the Amazon app, hit the microphone button and request, you know, the temperature change or the light to turn on or, or anything like that. And so really nice there. Of course, all of these smart devices already have iPhone apps themselves. And so it's not like you're you're gaining any functionality, but sometimes I feel like it's nice to have it all in one place. So so Alexa is kind of that like, you know, that virtual assistant essentially where it kind of accesses all the different things. And so you can access all those different smart home devices, regardless of which manufacturer it's from through this one interface. So it's nice there. You know, I've I'll probably be using it in the car mostly. You know, I can't see myself pulling it out at home or anything like that because I do have the uh, Echo devices. But for those of you who have iPhones and probably iPads too, it'll it'll probably work there. Uh, you can now fully access Alexa uh, through the iPhones app. All right, next up, let's go into the Q&A section. As always, I put a post up on Thursdays asking people to submit their questions or topics for me to try to answer or discuss here on the podcast episode. Got a few questions already, so let's go ahead and jump into them. Uh, first question is from Edmund Jimenez. <laughs> says, my wife is in the habit of putting the Fire TV to sleep without exiting apps. I asked her to exit the apps gracefully to avoid multiple streams, especially with Sling TV. Is it okay for her to just put the device to sleep Will the Sling TV stream still be active if she does that? Now, I don't know for sure with the Sling TV app specifically, but the way developers are supposed to handle this is that when the Fire TV either goes to sleep or goes to the home screen, or basically whenever an app loses focus, the OS of the Fire TV will tell that app, you've lost focus, you know, go through the proper procedures when you lose focus. And one of those should be for Sling TV is to kill any streaming, you know, basically just stop any background activity so that it's not using resources unnecessarily. So I imagine Sling TV, since it's a big company, it's a very popular app that they would abide by these, you know, common good practices for apps. So for the most part, for most apps, you should be fine just putting it to sleep or even just going to the home screen without officially going in and hit selecting exit. But definitely for some apps, you might run into where they'll they'll run in the background or they'll cause issues or they'll, they'll hog resources even though they're no longer in the foreground. So those apps, you'll definitely want to exit manually. Again, I don't know specifically with Sling TV, but I imagine that one is completely fine because most apps are fine where, you know, just putting the device to sleep basically will tell all apps, you know, hey, stop doing what you're doing. If you're streaming something, stop streaming it. You know, it, it just release those resources because there's no point. You're no longer in the focus. Our next question here is from Danny asking, is there an app that will give me a local TV guide by zip code? Um, I don't know of any. I mean, I, I have scripts that run that keep track of basically all the new Fire TV apps that pop up. And I've never seen like a TV guide app for the Fire TV. Uh, now that said, I'm pretty sure, at least there used to be a Kodi add-on that provided a TV guide. So uh, if you install Kodi, I'll put a link down below to, to how to do that. Basically, if you go to aftvnews.com slash, slash sideload, um, that'll take you to my sideloading guide. And Kodi is the app I use as an example for sideloading because it is the most common sideloaded app. But if you sideload Kodi, go into the add-on section, uh, search through the available add-ons, I believe there's a TV guide in there. So it probably won't be as easy as actually just opening up a uh, default Fire TV app and going and seeing your TV guide that way. But, you know, that's the only way I know of right now off the top of my head to get a TV guide on the Fire TV. Uh, you may want to also look into Alexa skills 
So I, I would imagine, hopefully, out of those 10,000 Alexa skills, there are some skills that will at least verbally tell you what's on TV. So maybe you you set up the skill and enter your zip code and then ask it what's on a certain channel or what's on right now in your area, and maybe it'll tell you that. So I would imagine that would be a fairly handy skill, and hopefully somebody's created that. So definitely search for a TV guide in the Alexa skills uh, or use Cody. Those are kind of the only two I know about. Uh, Lori actually chimes in here on Twitter uh, regarding the TV guide apps and says there are a few good ones for Android phones. I would imagine there are, and I would imagine there are some for iPhones. Uh, obviously, that doesn't solve the issue of getting it on the Fire TV, but if there are Android uh, TV guides, you might be able to sideload those onto the Fire TV. And so definitely uh, look into that. That's probably one of your best bet. But sorry, I don't have any recommendations. All right, next question here is from Brian P. Cook saying, accidentally removed an app from the Fire TV Stick cloud. Is there any way to put it back onto the cloud so I can re-download it? Um, I assume Brian is talking about a paid app because if you remove a free app from your cloud, you can always just go in and re purchase it and redownload it that way. So that's pretty straightforward. So I assume he's talking about a paid app. Um, I don't know of any way to do it yourself. Um, your best bet is probably to contact Amazon's customer support, explain what happened. They probably will not be able to add the app back into your cloud, but I bet they'll be willing to credit you like a refund for the app and then you'll be able to use that refunded money to repurchase the app um, that's probably your best bet and hopefully you'll get a nice customer service rep that will do that for you all right next question here is from nate asking has there been any progress from rbox or the gang over at xda on finding potential routing avenues for the fire tv stick 2 i have not seen anything uh, dirty cow was kind of the last exploit that had potential but the newer devices were not vulnerable. It was actually the old FireOS 3 software that was only vulnerable. So if you had a, a device that was on like 51.1.3.0 and up, it was vulnerable to Dirty Cow, but it wasn't vulnerable on the FireOS 5 software versions. Um, that's the last I've seen of any development as far as rooting anything Fire TV goes. So there really hasn't been anything. Um, Arbok specifically himself has never created a brand new rooting method. He actually has only, uh, it was for the Fire TV 2, he actually greatly improved a rooting method that somebody else came up with. And so he kind of optimized it, improved it, created all the pre-rooted ROMs, all the uh, TWRP. So he generally does not you know, go out and find rooting methods. It's usually, like I've mentioned in the past, it's usually rooting methods or exploits that get discovered that that basically work on a wide variety of Android devices from cell phones to tablets and to Fire TVs. And so that's usually the best way the Fire TV gets rooted or the most potential for the Fire TV to get rooted. There aren't really that many people working specifically on just the Fire TV and trying to figure out that getting rooted. I have not seen it at least. So they're, they're not public if they if they are out there. Um, you just have to, to hold tight. Um, if you want to improve your abilities to root, you can try blocking software updates uh, on the device. I have guides for that at aftvnews.com slash block. Um, but really that only improves your chance of rooting, but slightly, you know, it's only if uh, Amazon pushes out a so an update that fixes something before it actually gets publicly announced that you know the actual exploit existed, and so that's the only time you know blocking updates helps you uh, root. 
Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see something develop soonish. All right, last question here from Christian Fortin. It's pretty much a question that comes up almost in every episode, so might as well just end off with it. Uh, basically, Christian has a first-gen Fire TV on the latest software version, which is 5.2.1.2, and he's asking if his Fire TV first-gen is supposed to have the new skin or the new interface. Uh, the answer is no, it is not. The uh, new updated interface has not been released yet to the first-gen Fire TV or the Fire TV stick, the first gen fire tv stick that is only the second gen fire tv stick and the second gen fire tv have the new interface it is coming we don't know exactly when i've tried to reach out to amazon to get an actual official date or at least a rough estimate of when we're going to get it my best guess is we're going to get it in like April-ish. I would expect by the end of April, we'll probably have a software update that gets pushed out to first-gen devices that brings them up to date and on par with the second-gen devices with that new interface. But this is just a guess on my part. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I know this question comes up often. I'm sorry I don't have any more uh, solid info there. All right, that will conclude the 74th episode of the AFTV Newscast. Thank you for watching and for listening. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Of course, you can get the episode through uh, the usual audio sources, iTunes, Google Play Music, and, and all those different uh, podcast clients. I'm sorry if this was a shorter episode than usual. Um, I do really appreciate you guys who, who watch and stick around to the very end and to kind of make up for the short episode. Uh, I will reveal a little bit of something, kind of a, a little teaser coming up for Monday. Uh, out of all the people that, that watch, or sorry, that visit the website, only a small portion of you actually, you know, watch the uh, podcast episodes or listen to the podcast episodes. And even smaller portion of you actually stick around to the very end. And so kind of as a, as a thank you for those of you who are kind of like my biggest fans for sticking around to the end, um, I will tease that I have just learned some information regarding third generation Fire TV devices. Um, I am going to confirm them over the weekend, prep something and look for something posted on Monday for kind of the first the first info regarding third gen Fire TV family devices. Thank you for watching. Hope to see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.